Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say thank you for listening to our weekly radio broadcast. We have a lot of different ways that you can engage with our congregation at College Hills, and I would encourage you to go to collegehills.org to find out more information about meeting times on Sunday mornings, about meeting times on Wednesday nights. We also offer some online streaming options that you can get access to on Sunday mornings there at collegehills.org. You can listen and watch those live, or you can watch and engage with those later. We also have a podcast that we release early every week, and at that podcast, we will release both the pulpit sermon and the radio sermon for that week. If you go to your iTunes account and simply search College Hills Church, you will get an access link to our congregation's podcast, and you can subscribe, and each week those sermons will be there for you to listen to. But always know that you are welcome at 1401 Leeville Pike, and we would love to meet you if and when you can make it. Last week, we wrapped up a series focusing on 2 Corinthians and finding priorities for the church today. And next week, we're going to start a Christmas series. But today, in light of the recent Thanksgiving holiday, I want to do a standalone lesson based out of Colossians 1, 3 through 14. And I want to call this lesson this week simply give thanks. This is Colossians 1, 3 through 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." God, thank you so much for this new day and this new week. I pray that we would have soft hearts this morning as we listen to this passage and as we glean lessons from it. 
I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would all give us the gift of open hearts that we might hear your voice and be transformed by it more into the image of your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In January of 2019, I ended up buying a new car, a new used car, under unexpected circumstances. The unexpected circumstance was that my daughter decided to make her arrival one month early. Only days before she arrived, I had taken my previous car to the dealer to see if it needed repairs and to see about trading it in for one of their used cars. And while I was there, the the dealer showed me all of their used cars And right before I left, there was this one car in particular he wanted me to see. He even had me sit in this particular make and model just to make sure I knew how good of a car it was. So I left my car there that day, and then I wanted to let it get checked on to see what repairs it needed. And then two days later, Before I was able to go back and get it, my wife went into labor, my daughter arrived early, and we tried to get settled into a new normal. So my car ended up staying on that lot for about two weeks because we just did not have time to deal with it. But during that two weeks, the strangest thing happened to me. Everywhere I went, I saw that particular make and model of the car that the dealer had had me sit in two weeks earlier. It seemed like that car had also given birth to dozens of the same make and model and had scattered them around for me to see. So all of a sudden, everywhere I went, I seemed to notice that same car driving around. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're looking for a certain car to buy, and then you see that car everywhere. You learn a new word, and then you hear that word in every conversation the next week. You meet a new person, and then you start seeing them all over town. All of a sudden, it seems like that word or thing or person is everywhere all of the time. But you know what I know. It's not that... All of a sudden, that word or thing or person is there. But you are more aware. In other words, the change is not something that happened outside of you, but inside of you. All of a sudden, you see differently, perceive differently, or are aware of things in a new way. And sometimes this change is by accident, and sometimes it's on purpose that we become more aware. And if I were to describe one of the main things the Apostle Paul is trying to do with his ministry, I would say that he is trying to help early Christians to see the world differently on purpose, to become aware on purpose. Paul's own story reflects this priority in a very literal way. He was born and raised with a certain understanding of God's will. And as a result of that worldview, he persecuted Christians. But in an unexpected turn of events, Paul was confronted by the risen Christ. 
After that encounter, Paul went blind for three days, left to consider all of the ways he thought he knew God. And then on the third day, the scales of blindness fell from his eyes and he was immediately baptized. All of a sudden, Paul saw the world differently in a very literal and metaphorical way. And so as Paul went on this new mission, he would plant churches and preach the good news of Jesus as the Son of God. Paul would call people to be baptized into this new reality and to live differently. He proclaimed this new understanding of God's will and this new way of living and seeing that came as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so as you read through the letters of Paul, He's constantly reminding Christians of what God has done in Christ and how that new reality should shape the lives they live and the way they see. There is now a new understanding of God's will and a new way of seeing and living because of it. And in Paul's letters, we are reading reminders of Paul to see the world differently on purpose. But the great thing about Paul is that he does not just leave new Christians to figure out this new life by themselves. He is constantly giving practices that can help them cultivate this change in perspective. And one of the practices that Paul constantly gives to Christians is giving thanks. This is why I picked our passage in Colossians today because of the surprising thing that it teaches us about giving thanks. Leading up to our passage this morning, Paul has done what he often does in his letters. He gives a brief greeting, and then he gives thanks. It should be noted that in nine of 13 letters of Paul, He begins with a word of thanks. And so Paul modeled for his churches the very thing that he would instruct them to do. Paul is thankful for this new community of faith because of how the ways of love and grace are growing and spreading among them. And then Paul does something that he often does in his letters by praying for the church to whom he is writing. And these prayers of Paul are important for us to pay attention to because the prayers of Paul reveal the priorities of Paul. And here's what he prays. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Paul prays for two main things for this church in our passage today that reveal some of the most important priorities of Paul throughout his letters. First, he prays that God will continue to fill them with knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding. Paul wants these new Christians to continue to know in their heads and hearts of the will of God as known in Christ Jesus. He wants them to know more and more the grace of God that they first came to know and this new reality that they first experienced. But for Paul, that first prayer cannot be left alone. And so he prays for a second thing. Paul prays that they would also live a life pleasing to God. He prays for them to live more and more into this new reality that they have come to know in Christ Jesus. Here we see these two priorities of Paul, that they would continue to know and understand more and more of this reality of God in Christ Jesus and all the grace it entails, and secondly, that they would live more and more into that reality because that pleases God. Now, here's what's fantastic about this passage in prayer from Paul. Paul does not just tell these new Christians these two things and then is done with them. Instead, he spells out for them what this kind of pleasing life will look like through four phrases. What does a life pleasing to God look like? Paul gives four practices or habits that will shape these early Christians. One, bearing fruit in every good work. Later in the same letter, when Paul is talking about baptism, he will describe in more detail this fruit in the form of clothes that they are to put on. Clothe yourself with things like kindness, humility, forgiveness, and most importantly for them to put on love. Two, growing in the knowledge of God. He again emphasizes the God behind this new reality of grace that has been created for them in Jesus to become more and more. Third, be strengthened to endure and be patient, which is an understandable thing for him to tell since they're new Christians. They need endurance and they need patience. And we could stop here, and those first three would be quite a list. But Paul adds one more practice, one more habit, which I find to be the most surprising, but also the most significant. He adds this, Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. The reason I find this surprising is that I can too easily gloss over giving thanks as a kind of basic thing that people should do. And especially in this season of our world, we can kind of just give a head nod to Thanksgiving. And so the fact 
The fact that Paul makes this one of the four things he explicitly names as a life pleasing to God reminds me that we and I should not gloss over it too quickly. But the reason I find it significant is because of some further study and reflection this week. As I was reading and reflecting on this list, I kept kind of imagining these four things as a checklist that you go down, ticking off the box as you incorporate each one into your life. Kind of this spiritual to-do list. But a favorite author of mine shifted my thinking on this passage. He writes, The climax of Paul's prayer is that the young Christians will learn the art of thanksgiving. What Paul most wants to see growing in the church as a sign of a healthy Christian life on the way to maturity is gratitude to God for the extraordinary things he's done in Jesus and the remarkable things he's continuing to do in the world and in their lives. In other words, instead of seeing this list as a kind of checklist that you go down, this author imagines this list more as a kind of mountain you climb in maturity. So as you grow and mature in faith and your life will be more and more infused and transformed by a spirit of thanksgiving in light of your deepening knowledge of what God has done for you in Christ. The more in tune you are with the new reality of God in Christ, then the more grateful you will become. Now let's pause here for just a second. Imagine a church that used this as a filter test for health and maturity in the Christian life. Imagine a church that held up thanksgiving as the sign that you had reached a new apex in the Christian faith. Too often we live in a world that wants to sell us cynicism and despair as these trendy ways of living. And so to be grateful is a real countercultural stance in the world then and the world now. And why? Why does Paul prioritize giving thanks to this new church? Because giving thanks to God is one of the clearest signs that you and I are growing to love and knowing and seeing God more and more. And to use my story from earlier about that used car, one of the central ways that we grow in awareness of God is to grow in thanksgiving to God. One of the central ways we grow in awareness of God is to grow in thanksgiving to God. Giving thanks is one of those on-purpose things that we do to change our perspective. Giving thanks is one of those on-purpose things we do to change our awareness and perception 
Giving thanks is one of those choices we make in order to see more grace in our lives. And this is, this is something that I am still learning and growing into. But the more I reflected on this passage and this call to thanksgiving, I, I couldn't help but think of a recent challenge that my wife gave me. Many months ago, I was kind of in a funk. It was right when the quarantine began. Everybody was in this state of uncertainty and chaos. And even though I knew that I was okay, the world around me just seemed to be uncertain, filled with a lot of anxiety. We had just had a tornado that had destroyed so many homes and had had this collateral damage into so many people's lives. And then the very next week, we are all of a sudden quarantined and we're not gathering as a church anymore. All of our rituals and routines and rhythms of life were completely thrown out of whack. And I also, in my spirit, in my mindset, was also thrown out of whack. I was kind of like a train who is going down the tracks and then all of a sudden the tracks disappear and then you're just left skidding into uncertainty. And so for a chunk of time, I was in a strange place. I was feeling sad. I was feeling anxious. I was feeling uncertain. And one day I remember on a walk as my wife and I were walking around our neighborhood, which was a daily practice for us during those initial days of quarantine. She gave me this challenge. She said, I want you... I want you tonight, before you go to bed, to simply write down three things that you're grateful for today. Just write them down and then go to bed. So that night, before I went to bed, I opened up my journal and I wrote three things. And the next day, she asked me to do the same thing. And then she asked me to just do that for the next few weeks. So every night I'd go to bed, I would think about the day, and the last thing I did was to write three or four things for which I was grateful for that day. And over the course of those next few weeks, I felt my spirit change. I felt those tracks reappear. I felt that fogginess begin to clear just a little, and I could see in a better way. And what I learned through that simple exercise and that challenging experience is that this practice of giving thanks can really change perspective. That the practice of gratitude can change our awareness and our perception 
that giving thanks is one of those choices we make in order to see more grace in our lives. Now, the thing that I should also tell you about my wife is that she's a licensed therapist, and she knew the confusion and the cloudiness that I was experiencing, and she would later go on to tell me that that when it comes to therapy, when it comes to counseling, that the practice of gratitude is, is one that a lot of therapists will give to their clients in order to help them begin to form some new grooves and rhythms and ways of seeing the world. And that's why, to go back to that quote from earlier, I love the phrase that that author uses. He calls it the art of thanksgiving. And it's a good reminder to us that thanksgiving is is not something that we simply do, but it's something that we learn. Think about any artist. They don't just pick up a brush and know how to create a masterpiece. Think about a guitarist. They don't just pick up a guitar and are able to play a complete song. No, like any art, like any craft, over time, through practice, we begin more and more to learn to be a certain kind of person. And in the sake of our example, disciples, as we, through this practice, more and more experience and practice gratitude, we will more and more see and know the God revealed in Jesus Christ. And over time, more and more, we'll we'll not just come to know this God, but we will slowly begin to live a life pleasing to God. And so, I know Thanksgiving was a few days ago, and I know that, that our eyes are now beginning to turn towards Christmas, but I want to I challenge you, I want to encourage you, as we're still in a very chaotic season, that for a lot of us with the holidays is about to get a lot more chaotic but also for a lot of us, it, it's going to become more difficult because the holidays can also be difficult for a lot of us. And so some of you may be in a place or may feel yourself moving into a place where you feel cloudy, you feel sad, you feel uncertain and anxious. You may feel like a train whose tracks all of a sudden disappeared, and now you're not really sure what's coming next. You, you may feel foggy and uncertain right now. And so I want to encourage you with the thing that my wife encouraged me with many months ago. I want to encourage you tonight, before we go to bed, to write a few things down for which you are grateful from today. Or, if you're more of a morning person, I want to encourage and challenge you to to begin your day that way before the day gets away from you. Make it an early first practice to write down a few things you're grateful for that day. Just find some time each day 
to write down some things where you have seen God at work, where you're grateful to God for what He's done. It can be small things. It can be significant things. But just jot them down as a kind of prayer of thanksgiving to God. And my hope and my guess is that through that, you will learn the art of thanksgiving. You will learn that that giving thanks is one of those things that we can do on purpose to change our perspective and awareness and perception to, to see more grace in our lives. And so this prayer of Paul, I want to offer as a prayer to you and to me in this season in which we find ourselves to be men and women who give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen.